It is good to be before you. What a delight and honor. Always uh, enjoy these moments of being before you. It feels like every time I get up here, I never introduce myself, and a lot of times I don't know who people are. So by way of introduction, my name is Brandon Watts. I am a church plant resident here at Epiphany Fellowship, also uh, a covenant community member here. So this is home for me. And Pastor E is out today. He's on vacation. Uh, Pops is getting some must, much, much needed rest. Man, he's been, uh, he's been going hard, especially through 1 Corinthians, and a lot of times we don't know the toll that that weighs on you, and then shepherding on top of uh, continual preaching uh, is a lot, so it's good to see him get some rest, but welcome to Epiphany Fellowship. I'm excited to be before you, and man, you may be seated. Let's pray. Father, uh, in desperate need of you, once again, uh, we come into this place and um, realize that we are not sufficient and adequate in of ourselves. And so, Father, we need um, the Holy Spirit's working today, not just uh, to proclaim the word of the Lord, but to even hear it. We need the Holy Spirit. And so, Father, we pray that you would uh, be gracious to move upon us now, uh, be with us, and uh, help our time to be fruitful. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. I want to talk from the topic today entitled Spirit-Led Evangelism. Spirit-led evangelism. One of the things uh, the Lord has really pressed on my heart since the very beginning of this year, in fact, I shared it with my life group uh, when we were coming into the year, was uh, Paul's words in Romans chapter 10, verse 1, where where Paul says that I desperately and earnestly desire that they may be saved. And I started to think to myself, like, man, do I share that same desire that Paul has to see people know Jesus? Um, and so we see that walk, we see that desire walk itself out by the way we live our lives and evangelize people. And so I want to talk today about spirit-led evangelism. In 1985, the city of New Orleans threw the hugest pool party. It was, and it, the pool party was actually a celebration. And the celebration, uh, what they were celebrating was the fact that they went an entire year without ha- having a drowning in a city pool. No one drowned. That was the first time ever in that city that nobody drowned. And so what the city officials did, they got all of the lifeguards together. It was over 100 lifeguards and their families, so it was over 200 people, and they had a huge pool party. And they had, they had food, they had grills out, they had a DJ with the ones and twos, and they had balloons, and they had all of this stuff, and they just celebrated for hours. And towards the end of the night, when they started to clear out the pool, They looked on the deep end of the pool, and they see a man floating with his clothes on. It's a true story. They see this man floating at the deep end of the pool, face down with his clothes, fully clothed. And basically, what happened was a man by the name of Jerome Moody, age age 31, died. He drowned. But get this, he was surrounded by over 100 trained lifeguards. And so he drowned because the lifeguards were celebrating a successful season and weren't paying attention to what they were trained and called to do. Could that be the church? Could people be drowning around us while we are celebrating successful seasons, corporately coming together while a world is drowning? Could that be us? The Lord called us to be ambassadors for Christ. Please understand something about evangelism. Evangelism was never, in, it was never meant to be just one section of the church, a ministry within the church. 
That is not evangelism. Evangelism should be the church. We all should be evangelizing. And so we don't wait for the prayer walk to evangelize. We don't wait for the harvesters to take people in the back to, to evangelize. All of us should be evangelizing. If you are a believer, we should be sharing our faith. We should be sharing the gospel. And this is what the old church did, the first church in, uh, in Acts chapter 2, where it says that the Lord, verse number 47, the Lord added to their numbers daily. Luke says that he added to the church daily. That means that they didn't wait for Sunday morning's altar call to, to evangelize. But it was throughout their day as they were going, as they were going in villages and going about their lives, they were sharing the gospel, calling people to faith, and the Lord was adding to the church. And that is how the Lord asked to the church. And so as we go through life, as we go to work, our neighborhood, we must be evangelizing. Now, there's two types of evangelism that we're going to see in the book of Acts. There's two types. The first type of evangelism is what Charles Spurgeon calls in his book, Lecture to My Students. He calls it open-air evangelism. He has a whole chapter on it, open-air preaching or open-air evangelism, a whole chapter. That's when you go in the midst of a crowd and you just start sharing the gospel. Now, whether you agree with that or not, that is a very biblical model. Because Peter in Acts chapter 2 stood up, started proclaiming the gospel, 3,000 souls were added to the church. 3,000. And he does it again in Acts chapter 3, where we see him on Solomon's portico. And even Acts chapter 7, we start to see Stephen, before he's stoned, he's just open air evangelizing, just open air, just sharing the gospel. And we see that even in the beginning of this chapter with Philip, we didn't read it, but if you read the preceding verses, Philip is engaging the Samaritans by just sharing the gospel. Now, here's the truth of the matter. Most of the people in this room will not do that type of evangelism. Let's just be honest. You have to be a little bit crazy to go out on the middle of a corner to get on a train and just share the gospel. You got to be a tad crazy. So most people in here, there's only a small amount of people that will actually do that. So your evangelism isn't going to look like that. Most of you, your evangelism will be like what we just read, one-on-one -on -one dialogue. One-on-one -on -one people, the people that you meet, the people you talk to, the people you have over your house, the people you sit down with for coffee. These are people that are opportunities, if they're not believers, it, this is opportunity to share the gospel. And that is what I want to focus our time in on today. Please understand, context-wise, the Lord told the apostles to stay in, in Acts chapter 1, stay in Jerusalem until you've received the Holy Spirit. And then he says, after they receive the Holy Spirit, the scripture says, um, you'll be my witnesses. After the Holy Spirit's come, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Hear that, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. But for seven chapters, they were, on, they were hanging out in Jerusalem. For seven chapters, they have not left Jerusalem. It's not until Stephen is stoned at the end of chapter 7 where we start to see the spread of the gospel. And then in Acts 8, once where we're at today, verse number 4 says, those that were scattered went about preaching the word of God. And so the Lord used persecution to start to spread the gospel, which is where we are today. Let's read number, verse number 26. Please understand that it's going to be, I want to exegetically walk through this, so we're going to be bouncing up and down a little bit. 
Verse number 26 says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise, go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. This is incredible. The reason this is incredible is because Philip right now is in Samaria. And in Samaria, ministry is booming. It's flourishing. People are being saved. Demons are being cast out. Paralyzed. The paralyzed people are being healed. Ministry is going so well in Samaria that the Jerusalem, the apostles at Jerusalem sent Peter and John to go check out what was going on. They're there. They're laying hands. Holy Spirit's falling. I mean, ministry is going well. And the angel comes and says, I know this is going well, but now I need you to go to the desert. And not just go to the desert, but look at the grace of our God. Go to the desert for one person. Leave all of this booming ministry. The Lord is moving here. Holy Spirit's at work. I want you to leave that and go to a desert to engage one person. So what we see acting out right here is Luke chapter 15, where the shepherd leaves 99 and goes after that one, throws him on his shoulder and brings him back to the fold. What we see here is God tearing apart the house, like in Luke chapter 15, to sweep, to find one coin. This is the grace of our God. One person he's going after. Look at verse 27, though. And he arose and went. So he didn't, he is immediately obedient. He doesn't wait for some mystical thing to happen. He didn't need it. All the only thing he needed was a word, and he went. He didn't have a small group to discuss this, to make sure it was the Lord. He didn't do any of that. And that's what we do when it comes to evangelism. We want some mystical experience to happen. We want goosebumps to happen. Can I tell you that according to Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission, you have released to evangelize under the authority of the scriptures. You don't need goosebumps when you have Matthew 28 that says, and, it, and it t- it's a command. It tells us it's a command. So you don't need any type of mystical experience All you need to know is that the Holy Spirit empowered the writers of Scripture to write it as a command for us to go out and evangelize. It's that simple. And Peter deals with this, too, in 1 Peter 3, verse 15, where he says, Sanctify the Lord God in your heart and always be ready to give a defense. This is what Peter says. Always be ready. So here's the truth of the matter. God may not be calling you to Africa. He may not be calling you to a desert. For some of you, evangelism will be right, the person right next door to you, the person that lives across the street from you. The Lord is calling us to engage people with the message of Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse number 27, and he arose and went, and there was an Ethiopian. Let's stop for a second. Let's not run past that because Philip is the first ethnically diverse evangelist, the first one, because Samaritans, first of all, he was engaging Samaritans. Samaritans aren't Jews, and they're not Gentiles. But now we see that the gospel starts to transcend racial makeup, and it's now going after an African. Do you see how the gospel is starting to progress? We are sitting in this room right now, ethnically diverse, because of this type of encounter where the gospel is spreading, where the gospel is starting to move. I'm right now going through... Uh, for, for our church plan, I'm going through my Acts 29 application in Southern Baptist 
um, assessment. One of the questions I was asked this week, which kind of, I mean, it really rocked me. I was talking with Pastor Tommy about this this week. One of the questions it asked me is, when is the last time you've engaged someone with the gospel that was outside of your ethnicity? I was like, whoa, wait a second. Like, think about that, because we tend to engage people that are like us, that talk like us, that look like us. That's, it's comfortable to do it that way. But Philip is now engaging somebody that looks completely different than him. Not only completely different, but let's keep looking, because this is, it gets better. It's not just ethnic diversity that's starting to happen, but look at this. So he's an Ethiopian, and then the scripture says, a eunuch. Please understand that eunuchs were marginalized. They had no part in Israel. No part. The most uncensored verse in the the scriptures to me is Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1, where it says, No one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organs are cut off shall be able to enter the assembly of God. That means that this eunuch had no part in Israel. He was absolutely, he was ostracized, he was outside of Israel. And we'll see that he's trying to worship Israel's God by going to the temple, and we'll talk about that. But he is absolutely outside. And so we see the gospel now transcending ethnic diversity and is transcending um, um, the marginalized, those who had no voice, those who had no part in Israel. The gospel is starting to even capture them. In fact, he was so marginalized and so outside of the camp of Israel that when King Herod built the temple, um, when he built it, when he rebuilt it, he built it with four sections. And so there was the court of the priest, there was the court of Israel, the court of women, and the fourth court was the court of, of uh, Gentiles. But it really wasn't like a sanctuary. The last court really was like a mall. It was where they sold and bought stuff. This is where Jesus walks in in Matthew 28 and is flipping over the tables. He's in the court of Gentiles where they're selling stuff, and it's not like he's actually engaging in worship in the temple, but he's outside of the temple still. He's outside of the temple. In fact, there were signs that were written in Greek and Latin that said Gentiles could not go past this point. And if you went past that point, the Romans gave uh, the, the Israel, the, Jerusalem, uh, the Jews authority to kill people right like that if you step past that line. This is why we see in Acts 21 where Paul is walking in the streets with Greeks and then they thought, they allegedly thought that he brought in some Greeks into the, into the temple. The scripture says the whole city was in an uproar because Anyone that was not a Jew was not allowed in the temple. So he is outside of the temple, but the gospel is now starting to engage him. So he's an Ethiopian, he's a eunuch, he's a Gentile. He would have, I mean, he was the last person you would have picked to be saved. The last person. So please, don't ever discount people out of being saved because you think that they're too far for God to reach. And we do that. Don't act like we don't say, man, that person, man, the Lord can't save them. Please understand that you could not out grace. God's grace goes way beyond your sin, way beyond anybody's sin. So don't look, when it comes to evangelism, don't look and say, ah, I don't know if that person can be saved. Our response, our job is to simply share the gospel and let God save. You don't save, God saves. And so we allow him to save. If, if all of us were, all of us were far off. All of us, Ephesians 2, right? We were once far off but have been brought near 
by the blood of Christ. It's only the blood of Christ that brings us near. Let's keep reading. Verse number 27. A court official of Candace, queen of Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasures. So please don't skip past that. Think about this. He's not just an Ethiopian. He's a high-ranking Ethiopian, which means once he's saved, he'll now have influence in the court of Candace. Let's keep going. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, this is great because we often see in scripture where, the, where angels and the Holy Spirit work in concert to reveal Jesus Christ. And Luke does a great job of showing that because in Luke 1, when Mary is engaged by the angel Gabriel, we then see the Holy Spirit come on her so that she can conceive Christ. And so they work in concert to reveal Jesus Christ. But the Spirit says to Philip, and so Philip is now leaning deeply on the Holy Spirit. And when it comes to evangelism, effective evangelism always starts with leaning on the Holy Spirit. You cannot evangelize outside of the Holy Spirit being present. We need the Holy Spirit. And please understand that the Holy Spirit is not like the force from Star Wars. We don't go, come here, boy. Come here. I, I need you to do that. I mean, ask Ananias and Sapphira. Like, you don't do that. This is, the Holy Spirit is God. This is God we're talking about. And so the Holy Spirit is, operates through evangelism. This is why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, he says, um, and do not be drunk with wine, for this is debauchery or dissipation. And then he says, but be Filled with the Holy Spirit. And the word be filled in Greek is plerao, which means it's continual. So be being filled. That means as I'm going through life, there should constantly be fillings of the Holy Spirit. Which is why we see Peter filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter, after four, chapter 4, he's filled again. You constantly are being, and I love that, that, this, that Paul uses the imagery of being drunk with wine, and being drunk in the Spirit. They, they, look, they look similar. The reason they look similar is if you look in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit fell, what did the men outside say? These men are drunk. And then Peter says, it's the third hour. But look what he says. He says, these men aren't drunk as you suppose. He never said they weren't drunk. In other words, they were under the influence of something, but it wasn't alcohol. They were, under the, they were under the control, under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And that is what spirit-led evangelism looks like. Being under the control of the Spirit. I'll never forget riding down um, the boulevard, and I had some trash in, in my back seat. It's been there for days. I'm a sloppy guy. Um, <laughs> so I'm like, man, I need to get this trash out quick. So I pull over into a ride aid. I find a ride aid. I pull into it. And I take the trash out, and I'm taking the trash to the trash can. And I see a homeless guy in my vision. I see a homeless guy. Now, please understand, there's seven, over 7,000 homeless people in Philadelphia. It's a huge problem. So sometimes we can walk past people and not even know they're there. Not even engage them, just keep walking. That's kind of what I was going to do this day, but the Holy Spirit, and I'm not a spooky guy. Let me just say that right up front. I'm not a spooky dude. But this day... I knew that the Holy Spirit was with me. I'm walking, and I throw the trash in. I'm going back to my car, and the Holy Spirit, I mean, pressed on my heart, engaged this homeless man. So I walk up to the hom homeless man. Now, please know this. It's payday. This is payday for me. So on payday, I don't know how y'all do. I usually pull out some cash, put it in my wallet. Y'all know how we are on payday. Like, 
you know, we think we balling, you know. We, we, don't, we don't go to Dunkin' Donuts, we go to Starbucks, we get, the, we get the large with extra foam and extra caramel, like, we go all out on payday. So I'm, that's this day for me. So I'm feeling good. I got money in my pocket, and I walk up to this guy, and he asks me, before I get to him, he asks me for change. He asks me for change for something to eat. The wickedness of my heart, and this is how the Holy Spirit, I mean, normally when I'm walking through evangelism, the Lord's not just working on that person. He's normally working on my wicked heart as well. So I'm, I'm talking to this guy. He asks me for money. I pull out my wallet, and I'm literally flipping past 20s, flipping past 10s, flipping past fives to get to a one to give this man a one dollar bill and the holy spirit ripped my heart at that moment and i'm telling you i'm not spooky but i'm telling you the holy spirit pressed on my heart to give this man everything in my wallet and i'm like i'm like lord you got to say that one more time i just need to make sure this is you everything in my wallet i don't even know how much it was but i promise you it was 20s 10 i gave him everything in the wallet i gave this man everything in the wallet and I, I mean, I kind of did it one of these numbers, like, but I gave it to him. I did. I was obedient. Gave this man everything in my wallet and begin to share the gospel with him, begin to talk to him about Jesus. And then I'm about to leave. Conversation's over. I'm about to leave. And the Holy Spirit, I mean, it was like the Holy Spirit would not let up this day. Like, he beat me down. I'm about to leave. The Holy Spirit is like, I need you to pray with him. Okay. So I say to the guy, sir, I would love to pray with you absolutely. And he sticks out his hand. Now, I don't know how much you know about me, but I'm, I'm a germaphobe. I'm just telling you now. And I said, to the, I said to the Lord in my heart, I said, I'll give the, I just gave this man everything in my wallet, but I'm not about to hold his hand. I'm just not doing it. I'm not doing it. But the Lord, I'm telling you, the Lord used that moment. And I did, I did hold his hand and we prayed. I was obedient there too. But I promise you, the Lord used that opportunity to rip my heart apart and showed me, I mean, really showed me that the Lord sent Jesus Christ to touch my filthy hand. When I was in the midst of sin, like, I'm so clean now, I can't hold this man's hand. And Jesus often touched, Jesus often touched people that were sick. He didn't say, he didn't hold his hand and go, ah, I don't want to do that. But he absolutely put his hand out. And that's how the Holy Spirit starts to move through when it comes to spirit-led evangelism. Normally, he'll work on you as well. Normally, he'll work on you. Let's keep reading, though. Uh, I think we're in verse number 29. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? This is great. Do you understand what you are reading? So Philip now engages this evangelistic opportunity and starts it with a question. This is great evangelism right here. He didn't, he didn't take the scroll and hit him on the head. He didn't, or this is not confrontational evangelism. He mercifully asked him, do you understand what you were reading? And here's the truth of the matter. Most of us in here can't evangelize because we're just too deep. We're too spooky. Like, Philip didn't walk him through the tulip. He didn't go, oh, well, let me teach you about total depravity, unconditional election, and limited atonement, and irresistible grace, perseverance of the saints, and let's go back to T so I can teach you again. So he didn't do any of that. He didn't teach him about predestination. He didn't walk him through John Calvin and the Institutes. I love what Pastor Doug says. Nobody in the hood knows John Calvin anyway. 
I love, I love when Pastor Dak, he said John is probably a thief and Calvin is probably a crackhead. <laughs> that's, that's the context we're in. You can't lead an evangelistic effort being deep. That does not work. He's not arguing with this guy. He simply asked him mercifully, do you understand what you're reading? This is Jude chapter 1, verse 22, where it says, be merciful to those who doubt. Be merciful. You're not God. You don't save. All you do is share the gospel and leave that to the Lord. And so he, he leads this by asking him, do you understand what you're reading? Let's keep going. Let's keep going. He says, how can I, unless someone guides me, this guide points to the Holy Spirit's working, because this is the same guide that is in uh, John chapter 16, where it says, uh, when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll guide you. And so this is, again, pointing to how the Holy Spirit works when it comes to evangelism. He said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And please understand that when it comes to guiding, the Holy Spirit guides through illumination, not revelation. He's not revealing anything new. Like, Philip didn't talk to this guy about anything new. And our job when it comes to evangelism is not to try to present something new. It's, it's, it is our job to guide people to illuminate what's already been revealed in Scripture. The canon is closed. So we don't, we don't do anything to try to add to this, all we do is simply walk people through what this scripture has already said. We don't reveal anything. God doesn't reveal. He illuminates. He turns the light bulb on. So our prayer when it comes to evangelism is Psalm 119. Psalm 119 where it says, open my eyes that I may behold the wondrous things in your law. The Lord opens our eyes. We don't open our eyes. The Lord op opens our eyes. Keep going though. And he invited Philip to come and sit with him. Now, the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. So he's about to quote to him Isaiah chapter 53, verses number 7 and 8. It says, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shear, he was silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life was taken away from the earth. This is the suffering servant passage. This is the passage that points to Jesus Christ. But the crazy thing, the beautiful thing about the scriptures is all of it points to Christ. All of it. I mean, the, the eunuch could have read any prophet, and Philip would have had an opportunity to show him Jesus. Any single prophet, any major prophet, any minor prophet, Daniel, Ezekiel, all of them, Lamentations, Nahum, who reads Nahum? <laughs> like Jonah, every single, every single prophet points to Jesus. And Jesus deals with this in Luke 24. In Luke chapter 24, where the two men are on the road to Emmaus and Jesus, the scripture says that Jesus opened the scriptures to them. But it says that beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, and all of scripture, he interpreted to them the things concerning himself. Hear what Jesus said. I mean, that is a weighty verse. Jesus said, beginning with Moses, that's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Pentateuch, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Jesus just said, points to me. And then he goes and says, and all of the prophets. 
Every single prophet points to Jesus. The scriptures find their fulfillment in Jesus. If you read this book and don't get to Jesus, it's just a historical book to you. What makes it authoritative is that we get to Jesus. And so this eunuch is reading a passage about Jesus, and Philip now has an opportunity. This is like a home run. I mean, this is evangelistic home run right here. He is now about to walk him through. Please understand, when it comes to this book, all of it, all of it talks about Jesus. The Old Testament points to him. Jesus steps on the scene, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We see Jesus. The rest of the Old Testament is talking about Jesus. It's pointing to Jesus. So this book is 66 books written by over 40 different authors on three different continents in three different languages, 1,189 chapters about our king. It's not about us. It's about Jesus Christ. Let's keep going, though. Verse number 34. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask, does this prophet say this? About himself or about, some, about someone else? So in other words, he's saying, is, this, is Isaiah talking about Isaiah or is Isaiah talking about Jesus? That's what he's asking. Who is he talking about, him or somebody else. And so, so now in this evangelistic opportunity, we see Philip about to, I mean, he's about to talk about Jesus. This is great. Now, when it comes to evangelism, I'm telling you now, the linchpin to, the, to this whole passage is this next verse. Verse number 35. If you Instagram, if you tweet, if you Facebook, you need to highlight this, draw a margin out, say, wow, take a picture, and put it out and say, this is evangelism. Please understand verse number 35. Look at verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scriptures, he told him the good news about Jesus. As we're ending, I want to pull out three elements of evangelism that's found in this one passage. But I promise you that you're going to look at me like I'm crazy because it's so simple. First is he opened his mouth. Like, that's crazy that Luke, like the Holy Spirit inspired Luke to write, he opened his mouth. And three other times in the book of Acts, we see that Luke says that, opened his mouth, opened his mouth. And so evangelism has to be a verbal proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Evangelism is not look at my life and try to, try to figure it out from by looking at my life. Now, please understand, I, I agree, our lives should, according to Philippians 1.27, our lives should only be counted worthy of the manner of, G, of the gospel. So it should look like the gospel. I'm not, I'm not saying it shouldn't, but when it comes to evangelism, you have to open your mouth and share the gospel. Share the gospel. You do not open your mouth and just, sh- and just share your testimony. Now, I'm not against your testimony. Share your testimony. I'm not against that. But if you Engage somebody with just your testimony and walk away. You have not evangelized. It's not evangelism. The power in evangelism is in the gospel. It's in the message. And the crazy part about sharing your testimony is you can share your testimony and say that God saved you. For, and God probably saved you guys from some crazy stuff. But someone else can come along after you and have a better testimony than you and may not even be a Christian. Like, I've never done drugs. Like, that's just not, that's not my background. That's not, that's, that wasn't my upbringing. 
And so I can't walk in and share my testimony because someone who's a Buddhist can say that Buddha saved them from a whole bunch of other stuff. But one thing they can't beat me at is sharing the gospel, the message of Christ. That's why Paul says in Romans 1.16 that the gospel is the power of God. It's the power of God for salvation. It's, it's God's power packed into a message. And so he opened his mouth, but look what he does. He opens his mouth, and beginning with the scriptures, he began, like this is so practical, he began with the scriptures. Most of us don't evangelize because we don't feel comfortable in the scriptures. He knew, this means that Philip had to be familiar with his Bible. There's not a day that goes by that a Christian should not put his face in this book. Not a, not a day. I'm not perfect, but I promise you, the first thing I do before my two feet hit the floor is put my face in this book. We have to be familiar with the scriptures. We have to read the scriptures and understand what the scriptures are saying. Because Philip just walked him through beginning with the scriptures. Third thing he does. Beginning with the scriptures, he told them the good news about Jesus. He now talks to him about the gospel. And please understand, when it comes to talking about the gospel, that means that he had to tell him about the bad news. You don't get to the good news. The good news is about Jesus. The bad news is we're sinful. So that means Philip had to say to this eunuch, you're a sinner. You, according to Genesis 5, your heart is set on evil continuously. That's what the scripture says. Continually our heart is set. We are, I mean, from birth. We're not sinners because we sin. We're sinners because it's a part of our nature. From birth it was over. We, had, we were violent towards God as an infant. That's why we don't have to teach kids how to bite. We don't have to teach kids to say no. We don't teach kids to throw tantrums. It's a part of who we are. And so he had to walk him through that you are a sinner, but God is holy. This is the gospel. God is holy. He dwells in unapproachable light. There no sin, no sin dwells within him. He is absolutely perfect. And so that day that we think the scary part about the holiness of God is that our sin is, I mean, is, it kindles his wrath. It's offensive. But so does our righteousness. So does our goodness. And so in order to stand before God, we need a perfect righteousness. Only God can appease God. Man cannot appease God. And so that day that you think you've killed it, I mean, that day that you think you knocked it out the park, the ball did not go past home plate. The ball didn't go anywhere. But Jesus, the beautiful things about the gospel is that Jesus steps up to the plate and he squeezes the bat like this. And he does one of these numbers. You know how they do it. They hit their foot. Boom, boom. He spits. And he does like this. And he smacks it. Bow. And smack. not just a home run, but a grand slam. Game is over. Lights out. Jesus did for you what you cannot do for yourself. You could not save yourself. There is no, you stand before God and give him your list of good deeds and you'll be crushed. But what separates us, what makes the gospel the gospel, 
is that we don't stand with our righteousness, but we bank all of our chips on Jesus Christ. He perfectly lived up. He didn't lie. He didn't do anything. He, a sinless life. The scripture says not even deceit was found in his mouth. He was absolutely perfect. And what makes the gospel so rich is that Jesus doesn't come just to die, but he came to live a perfect life and then willingly gives it to us. And then now we stand before God and we hear the word spotless. Like, think about that. Like, that's going to make me be like, wait, he must not know what I did last night. Like, spotless is what you'll hear. Perfect. Flawless. But it's all because of Jesus Christ. It's called double imputation. He took our sin and gave us his righteousness. This is the good news that we must feel burdened to share. This is the good news that this is what Paul said when he said, I desperately desire that they may be saved. This is what we must share on a consistent basis. I have a question for you, and it's rhetorical. Don't answer it. The question I have for you is, when is the last time you've shared the gospel? Think about that. Don't tell anybody, but think in your mind, in your heart, when is the last time I've shared this message of Jesus Christ? We, when we go to a restaurant and it's good, I mean real good, what completes our joy is when we tell somebody else. Like when you walk away, your joy is not complete until you say, yo, you got to check out this restaurant. It's amazing. But why is it when it comes to the gospel, we let as, as I said in the beginning, we let others drown around us. So we must, be, we must feel a sense of urgency and burden when it comes to sharing the gospel. Let's pray. Father, Father, we are, um, I, I, don't want this to, I don't want people to hear and walk away and feel like we, we're doing okay. But let us feel the weight of what it means to share the faith, share the gospel. Philip was an ordinary guy. He was not an apostle, Lord. He was an ordinary guy. Philip the evangelist, but yet he was beastie in sharing the gospel, sharing, talking about Jesus. As it relates to Samaria, as he engages this eunuch, and later on, he goes about and just preaches the gospel. Father, give us that type of conviction. Help us to take advantage of opportunities that we normally would have missed because we were too comfortable or just didn't feel like sharing the gospel. Give us a burden and a passion to be consistent with the message of Jesus Christ. Father, we worship you and we're so grateful that you sent Jesus to die for us. Help us to tell others that and not be stingy when it comes to the gospel. But let us, let us be serious and and, and keep focus of why you've called us together, and that is to fulfill the Great Commission. Father, there's no greater joy than fulfilling the Great Commission. So give us that burden. Give us that passion. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.